The message is entitled, A Word of Knowledge, Wisdom, and Discerning of Spirits. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have been abused and misused by so many Pentecostal circles that they have been um, brought about to much confusion, ridicule for the body of Christ. Now, we are Pentecostal. That means that we believe in the gifts. But we're not Pentecostal in the sense the way extreme Pentecostalism does not where a pastor might be teaching and then somebody will get up and speak in tongues and then somebody will get up here and give a prophecy, not a true interpretation, and Shirley Temple's dancing in the back. Okay? Everything's decent in order, and that's why we're studying the gifts. Okay? Um, not to mention also the fear and the total rejection of the gifts because of the abuse and misuse of them. We have uh, studied the baptism of the Holy Spirit and its relationship to the gifts, which was an important foundation last week, learning some important facts about the relationship. Let me just summarize them so we carry these over into the entire series. No one gift or group of gifts of the Spirit are the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of the Holy Spirit at times accompany the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but not always. The two most popular and common in Scripture is tongues and prophecy. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to receive power in order to be a witness for Jesus, Acts 1.8. The true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is empowerment for service there in 1.8, which is the uh, fact of the baptism that Jesus mentions in Acts 1.5, they're tied together. The motivation for service is to be the fruit of the Spirit, agape love in Galatians 5.22. It is singular in the Greek. In the English, it's fruit, plural. In the Greek, it's singular. It's only one fruit, agape love. Everything that follows is a manifestation of agape love. Most pastors teach it as a fruit of the Spirit. They get an F minus out of context. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is received by faith just as when you and I got saved. We're children of God. We ask him to, to give us gifts, to make us aware of our gifts, and we receive them by faith. Now, in view of this, we want to begin our study of the gifts of the Holy Spirit by making some preliminary statements about the gifts that will be foundational for all of them as we look at the series. Many profess that some of the gifts of the Spirit were only for the apostolic age, such as prophecy, tongues, interpretation, miracles, healing, while the others remain. And there's different selection of whatever, but that's basically the idea. Now, the only thing wrong with that is that the scriptures deny and refute that theory. Let me give you this text and the scriptures for that. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, listen to it. For the gifts of the calling of God are irrevocable. Okay? They're not removed. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthians had all kinds of gifts. He said, I want you to come short in no gift until what? The second coming of Christ. So what do you do with that? Those that reject the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today try to prove it by the passage in 1 Corinthians, which says in 1 Corinthians 13, 10, that which is perfect is come. When it comes, then that which is in part will be done away. And they say that it refers to the word of God. Since we have the Bible complete the 66 books, the gifts are done away. Well, that's a very, very immature and erroneous interpretation in the context. The interpretation sounds good, but it's not very sound for two reasons. First, we know that Revelation 10.4 tells us that God told John through the angel that not to write certain things. 
So in Revelation 10.4, we don't have all the revelation. It was withheld from John a little bit, okay? It's just a side issue. It's not really the main point, but just to show you that their thing is wrong. Second of all, the fact that every Greek scholar interprets that text of 1 Corinthians 3.10, that which is perfect as the Lord Jesus, not the word of God, and when he comes, then that which is in part shall be done away. So all the Greek scholars disagree with them. In the context, let's agree with them. Very, very important. Now, the believer is told not to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12.1. Don't be ignorant about them or their function. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians through 14, as you know, was written for the, the purpose of correcting the misuse and abuse of the gifts, being a correctional letter followed by the proper instruction on how to operate them and judge them. Chapter 12 enumerates some gifts. Chapter 13 teaches agape love should be the motivation for the exercise of the gifts. Not that agape love substitutes the gift. That's a distortion of the text. Chapter 14 deals with the three problematic gifts with tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. And when we get there, we'll deal with them. A Christian cannot curse Jesus by the gift of the Spirit because it's one of the arguments. They say, well, you know, you, we, I, my mom heard this other guy and he was just laying curses on Jesus. It's impossible. The Spirit of God is not going to turn around and curse the second person of the Trinity. It's just nonsense, the stuff that people accept as truth. 1 Corinthians 12.4 says that there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. Diversity means difference. Our cultural corruption has redefined the word. If you get a good dictionary, diversity means different. The cultural relativity and the educational system has made it the same for their political agenda. They get an F minus in English. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord, 1 Corinthians 12.5. There are diversities of activities, but the same God, 1 Corinthians 12.6. Some have the gift of teaching, but it's administered differently. I officiated as a pastor, head pastor of the church, pastor teacher. There's the gift of teaching alone that doesn't include being a pastor. And then maybe a person might be called with a teaching gift, but to the children or different things. So one gift can be manifested and operated differently depending on how God gives it. So you have the Holy Trinity here involved in all the gifts of the Spirit, their activities and diversity. The believer is to hold to what Scripture declares, not what man teaches, and try everything man teaches to the Word of God, the plumb line. So we're told not to deny them or do away with them and not forbid them in any way, especially tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 through 40, that's how Paul finishes the correctional gifts. And he asks a rhetorical question. Do I have the gift of teaching? The answer is no. Do I have the gift of miracles? No. Do I have the gift of tongues? If you say yes, you flunk the class. It's no. Everybody has different gifts. Other attempts to present the gifts of the Spirit as if they are meritorious or a mark of spirituality is absolutely wrong. God, through the grace given to us, has dealt with every man and imparted to us the measure of faith. We cannot boast about it, Romans 12.3 says. It's given to us. God disperses severally as he wills 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says in verse 18. You catch it also in Ephesians 4, 7 and Romans 12, 3 and 6. 
As he wills, he disperses, he gives. Therefore, not all of us have the same gift, as I said, nor are they manifested in the same way, as 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says. The illustration is of the human body, a very clear teaching. And no generation, no culture would ever confuse the illustration because every human has a body. And he has a diversity of parts. This hand is not the same even of this hand. A little different. And all these parts in my body, they get the message from the head. When my head says, grab this paper, I grab the paper. But he also has to send the message to my shoulder, my elbow, and everything else to work in conjunction. But the final destination is the fingers. But the command comes from the head. That's the parallel to the gifts of the Spirit of God. Therefore, none of us can boast or compare yourself one to the other. There is one head, but many members, the head of Christ Jesus. Now, the purpose of the gifts is that there be no schism in the body, and there be effective service, we don't all have, again, the same gifts. You find that again in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Romans 12, 3 through 6, and Ephesians 3, 7. And the word schism there in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 means to split or a gap. The root word split or sever, speaking of there not being a unity, a coordinating function, such as when they sever your spinal cord in an accident and it gets severed from the rest of your body, now the brain cannot send the message to the destination at the level of that severing. It's hindered. There's a gap. You can live without limbs. There are people who have lost arms and legs in accidents and they function. A lot of our beds come back like that. As you know, I have one eye. I only have one light bulb. That's how I came to know the Lord. I functioned fine. I was 23, now I'm 73. Everything's okay. But it's nice to have all the equipment when you can. A body, as a church body, without gifts, is like a human person's body without limbs. You can live, but you can't function the way you should. It's just simple. The gifts are listed for us, again, in Romans 12, 4 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, and verse 28, Ephesians 4, 11, and in 1 Peter 4, 10, Peter says you have at least one gift, every one of us, at least one gift. So no one can say, well, you know, God hasn't given me a gift. I'll tell you what your one gift is not, sitting. That's not a gift, that's a curse. You have a gift. What are you doing with it? It's not for yourself. It's for the rest of the body. Very important. All gifts should be exercised decent and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says. And he gives that correction you find the confusion like a circus-type atmosphere on Channel 40 through when they have all those Pentecostal groups and they speak and they do all kinds of weird stuff. It's unbiblical. People being slain in the spirit, you know? People speaking in tongues out loud before the whole world. We'll deal with tongues as we get there. All believers are to know God is not the author of confusion but of peace, 1 Corinthians 14.33. All believers are to understand that unless the motive is agape love, there will be no reward to the person, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, and 4, 5. So I can exercise a gift. Let's take my gift of teaching. I've, I have exercised it faithfully for 50 years, as God has called me. But if my motivation those 50 years has been to be seen and heard and to try to bring attention to myself, then I will get no reward in heaven. You've received the benefit. 
I receive the benefit of my own study. But if my motive is not God's love, crispy critter, done. And so every and all believers are capable of obtaining gifts when they're born again. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Do not confuse gifts with spirituality or maturity. You can be 30, 40 years in the Lord and have gifts and be 100% beef, carnal, immature, self-centered. God didn't give you the gift because you were so great. Someone comes to your party and gives you a gift. They know you don't deserve it, but they give it to you because they love you. Simple. It's a gift. We are to earnestly desire the best gifts, and those best gifts are those which edify the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. All gifts edify the church except for one, speaking in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, 12 through 14. That gift of tongues, if you have it, you can speak in tongues, you can be quiet and not speak in tongues. Paul says, I can sing with the Spirit, I can speak with my understanding also. I can sing, I can talk. So Paul could do that with in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek for sure. Those three languages. And then he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. He wasn't a southerner, all of them, okay? But you have control of that gift. You can turn on and off. So when people say, well, I couldn't help it. I had to stand up and tongue out, you know, because, you know, I know I interrupted the message, but God just forced me. Shut up and sit down. You're a liar. God's not the author of confusion. If God is speaking through the person in front, he's not going to interrupt himself to speak through someone from the back. Simple. When we speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it is important to distinguish them from natural abilities and talents, and we made that point last time, but we'll do it again. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are supernatural gifts, not normal talents. Supernatural, divine gifts of God. The Holy Spirit is both the source and the agent. All the gifts are operative by God's severally as he wills and when he wills, as he wills, to whom he wills, except for that one, and that's your prayer language or tongues. And prayer language is a phrase that's biblical. Paul says, I can pray in the spirit or my understanding also. Simple. Many of the gifts are manifested in combination and multi-combination. We'll point that out as we study them. Um, sometimes there's one, sometimes there's two, three, or four, and, and, and sometimes it's hard to distinguish, and you, you have to really look at it and study it. Now, having said all this, let's begin our study of the gifts, yet not in specific order that they're found in Scripture, but in terms of categories, starting with the gifts of revelation, which are the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits, the gifts of revelation. We begin with the gift of the word of knowledge. Now, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. So the definition of the word of knowledge is as follows. A supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit given to an individual of facts, information, or details with the impossibility of that person obtaining them by any natural means. So that means that what God gives to you in this word of knowledge, you didn't learn it from man. You didn't get it from man. He gives it to you. The word of knowledge deals with the past and the present. The word of knowledge is not having the ability to read minds or to be able to know personal facts as you wish about people. God is the one that reveals the information. Sometimes people, I don't want to get around him because he might read my thoughts. It's dumb. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. The gift of the word of knowledge, having been received, does not mean you will manifest it all the time. Evident as Elijah was surprised that God had not told him about the child's death through a word of knowledge. 
Listen carefully in 2 Kings 4.27. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, let her alone, for her soul is indeed distressed, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Here, Elisha was surprised that God kept something from him. I'm surprised when God shows me something. This prophet had a very close relationship with God. God made many things known to him. Word of knowledge. Now, the Old Testament evidence of the word of knowledge is important because if we're teaching this, we should find it in both Testaments. In 1 Samuel 3, 11 through 13, God told Samuel as a young boy, as you know, in Shiloh, about the judgment on Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, for laying with the women in the temple and stealing robbing offerings and other things that dealt with the past and the present, a word of knowledge. Another person is Saul in 1 Samuel 10.22. Saul was to be made king, as you remember. He could not be found by the people, so they inquired of the Lord. And the Lord told them that he was hiding under the stuff. It dealt with the present. Nobody knew where he was at. God revealed it. Word of knowledge. God was telling Elisha, the plans of the Syrian army. And he then would tell them to the king of Israel. In fact, the king of Syria in 2 Kings 6, 9 through 12 asked for a confession of the traitor. Which one of you is betraying me? And the king was told by one of his servants that it was Elisha, the prophet, and that he was even able to tell the king of Israel the words that were spoken in his bedchamber. <laughs> God sees and knows all things. God doesn't send angels out to bring him information. So as you can see, word of knowledge is found in the Old Testament. The New Testament is the same. In Matthew 16, 16, the context, you know, is the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi by Jesus Christ. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some the prophet. But who do you say? Peter says, Ark the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. There you go. God revealed it to Peter. He didn't get this by... He was so smart or the top apostle. Jesus told Peter to go to the sea and to cast his hook in and the first fish would have a coin in his mouth to pay taxes. Matthew 17, 27. That'd be good right now. We're about to pay taxes. Lord, give me a word of knowledge. Where's that fish? Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit about the sale of their property. And they wanted to make themselves appear like they were so benevolent, they gave all. Now, it's clear that God didn't require anything, not all of it, not part of it. But they wanted people to think, and so God struck them. In Acts 4, 34 through 35, and then chapter 5, 1 through 4. Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. God revealed that to Peter. Very important. Word of knowledge. God revealed to Cornelius, if you remember, where to find Peter at Joppa. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 8, it was the ninth hour, we're told in Acts 10, 3, the time of prayer, the same time that Jesus was on the cross, also the ninth hour. And Cornelius was to send men to Joppa for Peter in Acts 10, 5 through 6. Word of knowledge. Tells Cornelius, send these guys over here. And the Spirit revealed to Peter, as he's in Joppa, a word of knowledge about the three men that were coming. There's some men coming to seek you. Doubt nothing. Go with them. Word of knowledge. 
in verse 19 of chapter 10 of Acts. So you see the gift, not only Old Testament, but also New Testament. Identical. The abuse of the word of knowledge is important to know certain things. Some people simply make up things and say God told them. There's a lot of people in the church that love to be heard and want to be thought of as being more spiritual than they really are. They'll say things like that God told them to tell you that you were going to give them some money. Exactly. The God told him, young lady, that you are to marry them. The God told them that you're to go to the mission field. All of these are true. That happens all the time in extreme Pentecostal circles because everybody is saying they know all kinds of stuff and saying all kinds of stuff for God. Do you know how many people have been devastated in life because they moved on that supposed word of knowledge, which is a lie, and acted on it without verifying it? Wow. It's an abuse and misuse of the gift. There are many wannabe prophets and false prophets in the church today, more than ever. The greatest heresy is from within the church, not outside the church. I've been around 50 years. You have to give me a little credit. <laughs> and I've been around the Cambridge Chapel movement since 73. The real boom started in 69 or so, 70, with Pastor Chuck Smith. A person is to examine and verify the word of knowledge that God has already spoken to you about the issue and it's only confirmation, not news to you. So if someone says to you, you know, I believe the Lord gave me a word of knowledge for you, and they tell it to you, and what they tell you doesn't register, then it's not God, because God knows where you live. If God's dealing with you about something, and you're seeking God on something, he can give somebody a word of knowledge to encourage you to confirm that he's dealing with you, okay? So you want to make sure you confirm that. If it is God, then you wait till God confirms it to you personally. Do not act on what is said just because someone calls themselves a prophet or have the gift of prophecy. And let God be the one to tell you. Acts 13 says, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I have called them. Very clear. The church did not send Barnabas and Saul out. Holy Spirit did. Simple. So the gift of a word of knowledge deals with the past and the present. Information only God knows. Second is the gift of the word of wisdom. In um, 1 Corinthians 12, 8, it says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. The definition of the word of wisdom is as follows. A supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit of divine purpose concerning people, things, or events. Notice the word of knowledge and word of wisdom, supernatural revelation. The word of wisdom deals with the present and the future. So the word of knowledge deals with the past or the present, and the word of wisdom deals with the present to the future because it gives you purpose and direction. Okay, what do you do with this information? Important. The word of wisdom is not the ability to take situations or to make perfect decisions at all times. That's not what it's about. God gives us wisdom for life in the word of God. And we're able to make decisions biblically to keep us from a lot of harm. The word of wisdom, having been received, does not mean that you may always manifest it, even as Peter, who attempted to rebuke Jesus, for declaring his death right after he received the word of knowledge in Matthew 16, 16. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. And Peter says, no, I, you know, I, come on, Lord, you're going to discourage these guys. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. One thousand a second, I get a word of knowledge from God. 
And, and the next, I flop over to my flesh. Because he had the Jewish mind. We're going to set up the kingdom. What are you talking about? Well, the Mount of Transfiguration was the second coming, the preview. And the preview of the Mount of Transfiguration is in Psalm 2. As they're, they're lined up for the battle of Armageddon. Why do the heathen rage? Why do we imagine a vain thing? I will have them in derision. And the psalm finishes by, kiss the son that they be angry with you. That's a sign of devotion. All of you who are ex-Catholics know what I'm talking about. You kiss your medallion, you kiss your cross, you kiss your scapular, or whatever it means. You kiss the idol. It's devotion. You want to be devoted to someone? You be devoted to Jesus Christ. That's the safety. Very, very important. And so, the word of wisdom often works hand in hand with the word of knowledge. And at times it's difficult to separate them or distinguish them, so you have to real look, look real close where one begins and the other one takes off. They're connected. Now, it's also found in the Old Testament as the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. In 1 Samuel 3.13, and I'm using the same text so I can show you the connection and we're familiar with them. God revealed to Samuel not only a word of knowledge, but a word of wisdom because it revealed the purpose of God concerning Eli and his sons. It was judgment. That's the word of wisdom. We need to ask God what to do with it, the word of knowledge. Reveal it or pray about it. Because now I have this information, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? Because you can devastate people, right? Timing and the right person is very important. We have great responsibility with the gifts of the Spirit. A young captive girl, as you know, revealed to the wife of Naaman that there was a prophet in Samaria able to heal Naaman of his leprosy. When he arrived, Elisha gave to Gehazi his servant a word of wisdom to declare to Naaman in 2 Kings 5, 1 through 12. He says, go dip yourself in the Jordan. You'll be healed. Now, Naaman was expecting Elisha to come out. He's heard about this great prophet. So he's waiting for the door to open up and for him to go abracadabra, bam, you're healed. And he was insulted that the prophet would send his servant to tell him to go dip himself. He even says, you know, we have better rivers out there in Syria than this. You know, he's got muddy rivers in Jordan. Hmm. His servant was a little wiser than him. He says, look, master, you've come all this way down. What's it going to hurt? Go out there, dip yourself. If you don't get healed, you don't get healed. We go back home. I can hear him grumbling all the way. One, two, three, four, five, seven. Bam. Pink as a baby. Healed. Word of wisdom. What to do. How the healing. The New Testament, again, has evidence of the word of wisdom. In Acts 10... Not only did Cornelius receive a word of knowledge as to where to find Peter at Joppa, but Peter also had received a word of knowledge about the three men that were going to come, as I pointed out, but also a word of wisdom, revealing the purpose of God in relationship to the Gentiles as part of the church there in Acts 10. He says, go without them doubting. And he was showing them because he showed a screen of all manner of creeping things. He's a good Jew, kosher, never eaten anything unclean or common. Take, kill, and eat, Peter. He says, not so, Lord. Did you hear that? Not so, Lord. That's a contradiction. If he's Lord, all you say is yes. Never know. And God was showing them that the Gentiles were going to save the very same way. Grace. Wow. An angel told Joseph to take the Christ child to Egypt because Herod had determined to kill him in Matthew 2.13. Here we have a word of knowledge and wisdom together. It's not a natural wisdom acquired by experience or knowledge. Divine word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Not only information, 
but where to go? Egypt. Many attribute and identify these two gifts as natural learnabilities, dealing with the understanding of the word of God and classify them as wisdom and knowledge in relationship to the word of God. It's wrong. It isn't. James speaks about asking God for wisdom in James 1.5. Colossians 2.3 says, In him, Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's regular wisdom that we get from the word of God for life. These are a word of wisdom, the word of wisdom, the articles there. Very specific. And so it is a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom, not knowledge and wisdom. Time in the Lord is no factor again. For Samuel was just a boy, as you know. Hannah had entrusted him to the Lord all the days of his life. Eli was an aged old man. He should have been more mature, more sensitive to the spirit, but he didn't correct his children, so he was approving of their evil. And God can't hear us when there's evil in our lives, right? And in fact, as believers, we keep going that way. There's egregious work against the spirit of God and God himself. The abuse of a word of wisdom, then, is as practical as the word of knowledge. The word of wisdom can be abused like the word of knowledge. People saying, well, the Lord told me for you to come over to my house and serve me dinner or something. And I'm using extreme foolish examples to show you how, how comical it is, but at the same time how devastation when people present themselves as being spiritual to take advantage of people. Time in the Lord is no factor. So again, you verify it by the word of God and let God confirm it to you personally. The plumb line is first. And God deals with you specifically. So the gift of a word of wisdom deals with the purposes of God, dealing with the present to the future. All right? Word of knowledge, past to present, Word wisdom, present, the future. Third is the gift of discerning of spirits. There's an interesting gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, 10 again, it says, to another, discerning of spirits, plural, spirits. The definition of the gift of discerning of spirits is as follows. The gift of discerning of spirits is a supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit of satanic spirits in operation as the source and manifestation. So the gift of discerning of spirit is not the gift of discerning or discernment. I hear that all the time, even by some of you. There's no such gift. There's discerning of spirits. There's no gift of discernment or discerning in the list of gifts. Now, we're around people long enough and we're Christians long enough that we can understand when somebody's motive is wrong or the guy's jiving you or something, and that's just normal discernment of knowing evil humanity, okay? There is no such gift, and yet so many Christians use that. The discerning of spirit is not your feelings about someone. The discerning of spirit is not suspicions or natural discernment. This gift has been misunderstood, therefore abused, and misused greatly. The particular gift of discerning of spirits is a protection against those possessed and control by satanic spirits. The Bible warns us of the infiltration of the enemy into the church, wolves, false teachers, false prophets, wheat and tares in Matthew 13. False prophets and false teachers in 1 John 4, 1 and 2, try the spirits, but not all of the Lord. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, false 
prophets and teachers in the midst of you, and they have great followings in the church. There are only three kinds of spirits. Divine, satanic, and human. The satanic is angelic. The satanic are the fallen angels. The good angels are the ones in heaven. Okay? Only three kinds of spirits. Now the New Testament evidence of the gift of discerning the spirit is interesting. In Mark 5, you remember the demoniac at Gadara in the tomb was confronted by Jesus and the demons were cast into the swine. Okay? They needed to ask permission. All the demons identified Jesus. Hi, Jesus, son of God, what are you doing? Our time's not yet come. Are you here to torment us? Interesting. The father asked Christ to deliver his only son of the demon possession that he was under in Luke 9, 37. A real activity of demoniac, tormenting the boy. In Acts 13, verse 6 through 12, Elymas, the sorcerer at Cyprus, attempted to turn Sergius Paulus, the proconsular, away from the faith. Listen to the text. Paul said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, word of knowledge. And you shall be blind or to wisdom, not seeing the sun for a time. Knowledge and wisdom there. And immediately the dark mist fell upon him. And he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You remember the damsel possessed at Philippi was delivered by Paul in Acts 16, 16 through 18. Listen carefully. Now what happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. We have fortune tellers, soothsaying, necromancy, all kinds of different stuff. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. You think it'd be good, huh? And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, not to her, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Okay? You have the seven sons of Sceva, at Ephesus in Acts 19, 13 through 17, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirit, saying, We exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preached. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so, and the evil spirits answered and said, Listen, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who in the heck are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Demons are real. They are powerful. I have experienced people that are demon-possessed. You don't want to deal with them unless God brings them to you, okay? You don't want to go seeking for demons, okay? But if God allows you to confront things, you are equipped for that, and we'll deal with that. Now, the principle of demon possession is very, very important because there's a lot of crazy teaching going around. Our Lord gives us the principle of possession and exorcism in Matthew 12, 43 to 45. Listen carefully. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, so the man's possessed, the spirit is exercised. He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. 
Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. In other words, the person that just got delivered. I'm going to go back in. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with the wicked or this wicked generation. So what you need to do if there is a time when God uses you to confront a demon-possessed person and God gives you a word of knowledge to deliver them, the first thing when they're delivered, you want to preach the gospel that they may accept Christ Jesus so that house is filled with light. If it's empty, his latter end is going to be seven times worse. Is that clear? Very simple. Some say, and there's a lot of church vocabulary, culture that goes on. I bind you in the name of Jesus. And they think by, by the, the exuberance and the, the loudness that the demons go, <laughs> how dumb is that? First of all, there's no command to bind Satan to the believer. The binding and loosing is permission, allowing and disallowing, and that's for church discipline in two other places, never for demon possession. But it's church culture, right? Others plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. No, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. There's no text that tells me to plead the blood of Jesus. Where's it at? Nowhere. Am I denying the power to deliver? No. I'm denying the vocabulary that's used. It's unbiblical. The power of deliverance is in the name of Jesus Christ as he gives that word of knowledge to do so or the opportunity to do so. There's a case in point that was worldwide known. Lester Summerall was a missionary in the Philippines in the 1950s. There was a young girl, her name Clarita, that was sexually molested while in jail. She was even possessed, had different problems and all that. And, um, and she was ultimately delivered from this demon, but being alone in that cell, they found hair in her hand that was not human or anything known. Okay? And she was delivered. Look it up on the internet. It's uh, Lester Summerall, and the girl is Clarita. It was, it was on Time Magazine and everything else, and Pastor Chuck was very familiar with that, and he shared it one time. And so the scriptures tell us in 1 Timothy 4.1, the latter days will be characterized by seducing spirits it says the spirit clearly declares and says that in the latter days there'll be seducing spirits and doctrines of demons very clear we have been visited by so many people from outside of our nation most of them are very pagan and they brought their little gods to the united states when you go buy some donuts, you lean over the counter, you'll find Buddha on the ground or up on the counter. The Indian religion, millions of gods. Islam, different things. And so now Americans don't believe in a god. They are agnostics. They are atheists. They believe in themselves. Nevertheless, God still exists, and so do demons. There's a, a palm reading house right up here on Colorado. It's been here longer than us. That's how big business is. Wow. No Christian can be demon-possessed. Is that clear? No Christian can be demon-possessed. A believer can be oppressed or harassed. And some Christians are confronted with demon activity. I can't tell you why God allows it, but I know that God has a reason for it, and he is dealing with the individual believer to mature and maybe raise them up in that ministry. I don't know. Tony Scotty, Pastor Tony Scotty's son, Seth, when he was little, he would see demons. We prayed over him and ministered unto him and all that. He's clothed and sane. He's fine. 
godly young man, married, kid. But God allows that sometimes. I have no idea why. But again, greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. Okay? They can harass you, try to oppress you, put fear in you. You need to bring your thoughts captive. You need to put on the armor of God. You need to rebuke them in the name of Jesus and turn to the Lord. If there's a willful meddling or ignorance about demons and the fighting is in the natural abilities, it is futile. It must be with God's word, the power of the Spirit of God and the gifts of the Spirit to put on the whole armor of God. Those who supposedly cast out demons from Christians, and you have those ministries all around here, deliverance ministries, under the guise that Christians can be demon-possessed, they have the demon of gluttony, the demon of lust, the demon of cigarettes, the demon of beer, the demon of Twinkies, and whatever it is, okay? And they're going to exercise you. They should do some push-ups. That's what they need. Um, it's not so. Greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. If you just go to Galatians 5.19, you'll find all those things that they say under the works of the flesh. Because you as a Christian still have a sin nature, right? And I'll answer him. The guy says, you know, I, I don't know what comes on me. You know, every time I go over to my girlfriend's house at 3 in the morning, the, the demon of lust comes over me. You tell him, come here a little closer. <laughs> First. Then you say, that's your flesh. Don't blame God for that. Don't try to appear spiritual in your carnality. They're very popular ministries. It brings attention to you. We have miraculous things going on in our ministry. Really? Okay. The late Peter Wagner and John Wimber taught signs and wonders at Fuller Seminary here, or shall I say Fuller Cemetery. And though they didn't teach possession, they taught demonization that they wrapped around you. By the way, John Wimber, he was one with the Calvary Chapels. He came in. He was, his background was music and sociology and all that. And he's the one that discovered the Righteous Brothers. And he had a great thing with music. And so he came in and he split the Calvary Chapels in half. The title Vineyard Ministry was Calvary Chapels by Ken Gallickson over in New York. And he took it over. Many people don't understand. They don't know the history of Calvary Chapels. A lot of people say a lot of stupid things about Calvary Chapels and Pastor Chuck. They don't know anything at all. And so these guys, I mean, you look at um, Peter Wagner, he went to Lake Avenue. He taught that there all the time. Crazy stuff. Well, they both know that they were wrong now. Greater is he that's in you than he's in the world, 1 John 4, 4. What communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ and Belial, none. Rhetorical question. If you say some, you fail the course. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. Very clear. Scripture is doctrine, not man's teaching. Your body is the temple of God. There's another one, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You can't have light and darkness, same one. Only the unbeliever can be demon-possessed. Only the unbeliever. At times in the scriptures, demons are responsible for a person being deaf, dumb, blind, or some other physical handicap. When we read that in the context of the Gospels or Acts, that is a true, exact fact. It's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. It's not... Um, invention. It's a fact. But we have to be careful, and it's very important that we don't associate every person who's deaf with demon possession or blind. Only what we know in Scripture, and if there's something related to that in life, God would have to show you through a word of knowledge, right? Now, there's a lot of crazy people in the street, they're just crazy. But there are some demon-possessed. 
Okay? There's a difference. Begin with a complete physical when somebody is saying, well, maybe I'm possessed. I say, no, you're not. You're a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yes. Then throw that out. Stupid. Begin with a good physical. Good blood workup, everything else. Doctor you can confide in and trust. It could be you're low on sugar, you're low on this, whatever, whatever it may be, okay? Begin that way as you're praying to the Lord. Some people just like attention and want to blame Satan for all their weird behavior to justify their emotionalism and their carnality. Such is not to be the case, ladies and gentlemen. It's so easy to take advantage and manipulate people when you're in power in a position of authority. You have to be really, really careful. Because one day, every person in authority is going to have to give an account to God for what they said, what they did, and what they taught other people. Everything that you see around here is God's doing. Am I saying we're perfect? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying whatever has come good in this ministry, it's all God. We'll, we'll, we'll take the blame for the bad stuff. But God does it. He does it. As he works through you and I, through the gifts of the Spirit in this case. So important. But he gives us the word to judge those things. To be able with confidence to teach clearly so that people stand on solid ground. Not emotionalism. Not heretical teachings. That's all cultural garbage. It comes and goes. So the gift of discerning of spirits is recognizing the operation or manifestation of satanic spirits, demons, and confronting them. So next time you want to use the word I have the gift of discernment. Slap yourself. And don't do it again. There's no such gift. This is discerning of spirits. To know and to recognize the operation of evil spirits. You walk in the sanctuary. God gives you a word of knowledge. The person up front there, second row, he's demon possessed. That's the gift of discerning of spirits. Okay? And then, of course, wisdom would be what to do. And so there's a lot of things that go on in the church that are not necessarily biblical. They're just church culture handed down from generation to generation. And people just repeat it like drunk parrots. Never examine it. It's very important. And so the gifts of revelation are the eyes and the mind of God in the midst of his people, the church. In this particular case, the gift of a word of knowledge the gift of a word of wisdom, and the gift of discerning of spirits. Study them. Understand them. Operate within the direction of the Spirit of God. Not your emotions, not your feelings, not church culture, but what the plumb line says. Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We love you. We thank you for this morning. We pray that you continue to instruct us and Lord as we attempt to honor you in every way that we would never um, abuse or misuse those things that you have um, given for the edification of the body Lord and so Lord we pray because we know that any one of us are able to do that Lord with our sin nature have us to just look to you Lord as you're praying if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior God has brought you here to be saved to repent of your sins you might be over the internet if you believe that Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, you can be saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Not because you're worthy, but because God loves you, and he gives it to you free by you believing the revelation of God. If this is your case, whether you're here or over the internet, a very simple prayer of repentance that Jesus always required of people of repenting as you ask him to forgive you. This is a very simple prayer if you want to accept him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. 
I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.